Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. So we're going to be going through a study through Nehemiah, not the whole, whole book, but just a big picture of what God wants to do in our lives, okay? So but let, me, let me ask you a question, okay? Have you ever believed something? Well, let me, let me put it this way. Have you ever wanted to believe something that was true, but you knew wasn't true? Okay? So for a lot of years, I tried to convince myself and other people growing up that I was going to be in the NBA. You can laugh now. You can laugh. I've gone through therapy. I'm good now. I'm healed. I'm ready to go. But it's like the true test isn't, man, let me ask my mom. Let me ask my do you could you see me being a, you know, mom's going to say, baby, you can do anything. You can do all things. You can sing. You can dance. You can, you can slam. You can do all that stuff. Now, I took this seriously, like no joke, right? Like I studied. I researched. Anyone know what moon shoes are? Man, those moon shoes promised a lot, but didn't deliver a lot, at least for me, right? There's these big, fat moon shoes, right? Where literally, they were like platforms upon platforms. And if you did this 12-week journey with it, it was supposed to increase your vertical about 12, 15 inches. You, you can laugh. It's cool. I'm ready for it. <laughs> I came prayed up, all right? And so they promised you that you would touch the rim, right? 10-foot rim. I was able to touch the net after 12 weeks, so that was my testament, okay, with, with the moon shoes. And I, I was even so serious that now if you're a real basketball player, right, you would know what this is, where they would give you these dribbling goggles, okay? What these goggles would do is that you literally couldn't see down, you could just see forward. Because I guess if you're a really good basketball player, I wouldn't know, but if you're a really good basketball player, you could dribble without seeing it. So picture me, 12 years old, I got my moon shoes on, I'm in my basement garage, uh, uh, lights are out, and I'm just dribbling. I got this, I got this, right? I didn't get it, right? And so, and not only did it, like, made it even worse, went to the doctors, and they said that, you know, for a daily physical, basketball, all that stuff, they said, hey, Chris, Looking at your genealogy and your, you know, dad's side of the family, you're going to be six foot three. I don't know. I don't know where that man of God is. I'm still waiting for that six foot anointing, okay? And so there's a lot of expectations. But you know what? Like, I, I came prayed up, came ready to go, went into uh, basketball tryouts, training, all that stuff. And, I mean, my heart's racing. I'm beating, right? And I go to the locker room door. I'm, like, looking for Chris. I don't see Chris there. Oh, I wasn't on that list, right? I know, I know. Sad story, right? I got over it. It's all good now. But, man, I think we all know what that's like where something's like, I want it, I need it, but it just feels too good to be true. Too good to be true, right? Now, that's a silly, funny example. But I think a lot of us, if we're really being serious, there are plenty of areas where we just feel like, gosh, it is just too good to be true. And how much more does this come out during the holidays? The holidays can bring the best out of us and the worst out of us. Like right now, man, I'm getting my Starbucks pumpkin spice on right now. Got my Netflix uh, fake uh, fire in there. It is a beautiful thing, right? But then the negativity can come out where it's like, gosh, like I'm just, the area that I've just been stuffing, right? You know, like in our house, we always have that uh, one drawer in our house where it's like the catch-all for anything and everything. Well, we have those catch-alls in our lives 
where it's like, oh, I don't know about this. I'm just going gonna, gonna, gonna to put that right here. And then this area, I don't, I'm not really sure. I'm just going to put it, put it right here. And if we're not careful, these moments in our lives that we just start stuffing and stuffing and stuffing, all because it's just too good to be true. And I think we can, we can settle in a lot of ways. And I think what we, you know, we're really careful of is that we're just afraid to fail. But I would even propose that the fear of failure isn't even the worst thing, but it's when after you fail, how you perceive that. So if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, is that we're tempted to settle um, uh, for safe. We settle for what's safe. And what I mean by that is, it's like, man, when things seem too good to be true, instead of putting myself out there, I'm just going to reel it back in. And we can, we can feel that way a lot of times in relationships where I've been hurt. I've been hurt by a person. I've been hurt in a relationship. I've been hurt by a parent. I've been hurt by a friend. I've been hurt by a church. So what happens is I just, I play it safe now. And maybe when it comes to even in our jobs, where it's like, man, you feel like God has put something inside of you. God has put dreams. God has put visions that you want to put yourself forward. But whenever it comes without promotion, Whenever that person says, hey, I see something inside of you, like, no, I don't see anything inside of me. Like, I don't see nothing, right? No, God's called you for leadership. Leader, what? Get out of here. I'm, I'm, hey, you ever heard this before? I'm more of a behind-the-scenes type of person. Well, God can use behind-the-scenes? Well, I don't know about behind-the-scenes. I, mean, I got stuff to work on. It's like, no, God has a purpose for you. God has a calling. And if I were to, you know, say something a little bit more directly this morning, man, that's why growth track is so vital. Because we want to help you. We want to help you to discover what your purpose is. But I think a lot of times why we don't go to growth track isn't because we don't have the time, but because we don't see the vision that God has for our lives. Because if someone's like, PC, I got a vision that there is a million dollars in that room. That's off my calendar. That's off my calendar. Cancel that. I mean, I got vision for that million dollars, right? But when it comes to purpose, how much? How many guys you know that man? A million dollars is nice, but there's no price for purpose. And so, God wants so much more for our lives, but we're tempted to settle for what's safe. And I think what's even underneath that is probably the thing that I really want us to lean into this morning, as I was praying for us. And I don't. I don't take me being up here for granted. I know this is not my pulpit. This is our pastors. And I take that with honor. And at the same time that when I bring the word of God, we're not just bringing just a good talk or just a, hey, let's make you feel better. This is the word of God. We want to take that seriously. And so as I was praying for this for us and for myself, you know, I think the biggest thing that can really get in the way um, underneath of us settling is that we settle into um, what we call a scarcity mindset. So if you're taking notes, write that down. A scarcity mindset. Did you know that you retain more writing down um, by 80%? Hint, hint. <laughs> All right, I'm trying to help you out right now. You want to retain this, right? And so I don't care if you're, if you're on your iPhone or your Android. I don't know why you get an Android. But if you have an iPhone, I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm not playing. But I love you. I love you. <laughs> we got to have fun at church, okay? And so I'm not judging if you're right on your phone, whatever, whatever you need to do, but man, take this in because Monday's coming, okay? And so 
So as we're talking about this, the scarcity mindset, it has this idea that there just isn't enough. That if someone gets a promotion, then I'm not going to get a promotion. If someone has a lot of, man, they got blessed by a lot of money, I guess there isn't, it's not coming my way. And we can even feel it emotionally as well when people's relationships are, are doing so well. And we can just be, man, like, what about my relationships? I want to feel peace. I want to feel joy. I want to feel like I have a purpose. Where is it? And the scarcity mindset it's more than just the positive, the negative, like, do you see the glass, you know, half empty, half full? It goes deeper than that. It's how you see yourself. It's how you see the world around you. And if you're a believer in here, it's how you see God. And so the scarcity mindset will squeeze your life into the, the most minimum, the most task-oriented factor. And it's like, I'm just trying to survive. And that's the... That is the, the worst part of a scarcity mindset is that you squeeze everything into your own little area because you just believe that's all that there is. And so maybe that might be you this morning or maybe you know someone that is, is dealing with that. And I just believe the Lord is going to use that word inside of us this morning. That God wants to, and then again, if you Google this today, which I would encourage you to, you're going to find this online. Go from a scarcity mindset and go to an abundance mindset, which I'm for that. But this is more than just self-help, that we want you to think better, think positive. But there's a God in John 10 that tells us that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy but Jesus says, I've come to bring life, and life in abundance. So we're not going from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset because we're just trying to kick ourselves in the butt to get going. But there is a God who died, who rose again on the third day to not just give us a, a new destination, but a new life, a new purpose, a new spirit, a new mindset. And guys, I, it's, I was telling Pastor Matt uh, a couple of days ago, now, there's some words where it's like, I'm passionate, I'm ready to go. There's some words where I'm passionate, but I'm like, gosh, some of them I feel a little bit more vulnerable in these, you, you know what I'm saying? Right? It's like, we're, we're all, we're all in arrival, right? We're all, you know, we're all in pro- progress. We're not arrived. And so God gave me this verse as like a litmus test for myself and also for you if we're living in the scarcity mindset. So check out this verse in Ephesians 3.20 where it says this, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we can uh, ask or think. All glory to God who is able, turn your neighbor and say who is able, who is able, who can infinitely, I love that word infinitely. In the original language, it means to go over and beyond. It means that what God can do, what we can try to achieve in a lifetime, God can do in a moment. It's, and, and, and Pastor Chase said this so powerfully last week, is that the, the, the uh, Hebrew word for create is bara, and that only God can make out of nothing. That we create because he's created inside of us. We create because he's done, something, he's done something inside of us. And so when we read this verse, now I know we can have the church answer, we can have the holy and blessed answer, right? 
But, but there is this part of us where when we really take in this verse, when we read this, now all glory to God who is able. Where does your mind go? Does it go to the over and beyond or does it go to your current reality and below? Because what I'm afraid for myself, even for us with the scarcity mindset, is that some of us in this room, you know, we're, we're figuring out our faith. Like, who is Jesus? What is the Bible? Come on, it's so outdated. And it's like, man, we welcome those questions. Like, we're not afraid of that because God isn't afraid of that at all. So we welcome that. But I think there's also a segment, part of our church, where it's like we love Jesus. We know where we're going. We, like, we don't doubt that he exists. But there can be a part of us that doubts that he can provide what's best for us because we don't see it. So this is the idea that, man, we go from it's too good to be true to the flip side of it is sometimes it feels like even Jesus is too good to be true. But we don't want to say it out loud. Like we know he exists. We know he rose. We know where we're going. But it just feels too good to be true that he can actually redo my marriage. Too good to be true that he can reverse my finances. He can reverse my addictions. He can reverse my pornography addiction. He can actually get me out of my depression. He seems too good to be true. But when I read this verse, and I, I don't get excited just because it makes me feel good, but I, all glory to God who is able to accomplish infinitely more than we can imagine or think. When we get that in our spirits, when we're living this out, it actually goes to he's too good not to be true. He's too good not to reverse our marriage and our finances and our purpose and our depression and our addictions. He's too good not to be true. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. It's going to require us to do some work, though, because we're going to reverse the ruins. It's all him, but he works through our minds. He works through our hearts. And Nehemiah is faced with the same situation, where Jerusalem has been burned. It's gone. And last week we talked about that great things, good things outlast. They don't start by us trying to make it happen. They start with prayer. And not, um, and not, not the bedtime prayer, Lord, I love you, and you're so good that I'm falling asleep right now. It's more, than, it's more than the lunch prayer, like, Lord, I'm so hungry, I'm going to eat somebody. In Jesus' name, amen, let's eat right. It's that prayer that comes from a place of desperation. It's that prayer that comes from a place of, like, God, if you don't move, nothing else is. God, I'm going to pray, not, because, not, not just because I need you, but because, God, you're worthy of it. You're so good, you're merciful that I, I get to pray. That's the prayer that Nehemiah prayed. He's like, and, and I'm, I'm catching up to speech, so this will make sense this morning. Where we pray, God, give me favor with the king. Give me favor. That if I can get favor with him, I know that all things that you are going to make it work. So that's where we are right now. So the question that we're going to answer today is, how do we go from prayer to provision? Because we're praying, we're praying, and God wants to provide but what does that look like? When I think provision, I know a lot of us, we think money, but God wants to provide for all things, body, soul, and spirit. So whatever you need this morning, God wants to provide, but how do we, how do we get there? And so we find ourselves in chapter 2 of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah has the awesome task of being a cupbearer. 
Do you guys know what a cupbearer uh, would do in those times? Yeah, they would provide the cup. That's right. But also, man, they would be the, the tasters, right? And I would, I, would, I would tell my wife, Laura, my babe, if I could, like, be an ice cream tester by the glory of God, I'd be so good at it. So good. Speaking to me right now, actually. Something's resonating. But a cupbearer would do more than that, is that they would not only pour the wine, but they would test the wine before the king. Because they'd make sure that the wine wasn't poisonous. Could you imagine that job? Every single cup, you'd have to know if you were good. And I guess you would know if you weren't good. Because you wouldn't be there anymore, right? And so Nehemiah is coming into the king's presence. And as we're going to read, that Nehemiah, I mean, you just know he's professional. You know that he brings his best self. And now this is a side note. This isn't my message at all right now. This is a, a freebie, a free 99 one. Okay, right now is that here. I'll, I'll, let me show you the verse, okay? Um, now, in the following spring, in the month of uh, Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king with wine. I had never looked sad um, before in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. This just tells me not that Nehemiah wasn't ever sad, but he never showed it to those in his workplace. And I just think there's just something beautiful that God wants to promote us. God wants to do something inside of us. But if we're coming in with our emotions on our sleeves and can you fix me, can you fix me, God can't promote that. That doesn't mean that you don't man, have a heart and that you're open, but there's just something that Nehemiah had an excellent spirit. That when I go to work, I'm here to add value. I'm here, I'm here to serve. I'm not here to be a black hole and for you to fill needs in me. I'm here because God meets my needs, okay? So free 99, commercial over, moving on right now, okay? I love free stuff, so I had to. And so Nehemiah, he's in this place, and this is why he's greatly troubled, because you were supposed to, as a cupbearer, not only make the king be at ease, but you weren't really meant to show emotion. You were there to serve the king. And so Nehemiah is in, and, and this is more of my opinion of what, of what was, is what's happening in the scriptures right now, but Nehemiah is feeling such a deep burden that God had put inside of him that he was, he was carrying it there. So the king's like, Nehemiah, you're not sick, and this isn't like you. You, you serve me well. You carry the, the, the heart of the house here. What is, what is wrong? And this is what Nehemiah says. Then I was terrified because he wasn't meant to show his emotions. This is what he says. Long live the king. How could I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? I want you to bookmark that right now in your head. We're going to come back. That is such a key thing. And you know God is working because he's the king. Why would he help Nehemiah? Continue. So Nehemiah said a prayer to the king of heaven. And I replied, if it sees fit with the king, if you're pleased with me, and if you're pleased with your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the cities and my ancestors where they're buried. And the king with the queen sitting alongside of him said, how long will you be gone and when will you return? Continue. 
After I told him how long I'd be gone, he agreed to my request. I'm so glad I studied this because it's on all here right now. <laughs> Had to point that out. Let's go. Not their fault. That was my fault. So he said to the king, if it pleases the king. No, 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 no. Check this out. I believe that there's two kinds of people in this world that when they find out that someone's paying for them at, at dinner, there's two kinds of people, right? It's like, oh, I'm so sorry. No, I don't want the cheeseburger. Just give me like a half of fries. You know, I'm good, right? There's that one person, right? I was like, woo, what's the most expensive thing on this menu, right? Oh, dessert? Amen and amen, right? So Nehemiah's like, oh, if it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors, right? Instructing them for safe travel through the torrents all the way up to, uh, to Judah. Keep going. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. I love that because Nehemiah's like, wait a minute. The king said yes. The king said yes. So what did Nehemiah do? Uh, king, I need provision. I need safety. I need money. I need protection. I need all these things. Why? Because I know God's with me. And, and the key, okay, the key to, to, um, to provision is foresight. Now, what do I mean by that? Because when you actually look at where the word provision came from, it means vision. It means provision. That before you can actually get what God wants to give to you, it's actually, you actually have to see it. And what happened with Nehemiah? He was like, oh my gosh, God is God said yes, because he wasn't looking just at the king. It's like, remember he said the scriptures, that he's praying. And so it's like, oh my gosh, the king said yes. Okay, king, I need this, I need that. Why? Because he had an abundance mindset. He knew that if God was with him, he wasn't going to ask for just the less. He wanted to ask for the kingdom and more. And so if we're going to have vision for our lives, we got to see the thing. Before we see the thing. You guys following me? We've got to see what God wants to do before it actually happens. And here's the part that is, is so key, and, and you can continue. Is that a lot of times what happens is that excuses get in the way. Excuses get in that way. Now, what happens in that passage is that you go back where the king said, well, Nehemiah, how can I help you? And I believe the Lord is asking that same question to us this morning. How can I help you? And how you see that, how you answer that question is going to determine how you step and what kind of vision you have for your life. I want to take us back to the Gospels where there is this paralytic who's been paralyzed for 40 years. He's been sitting by the healing waters for 40 years. And finally, Jesus comes up to him and says, young man, how can I help you today? And he could have said, man, can you heal me? Can you do something in my heart? Like, I've been so lost. I've been lonely. What does he first say? Well, I've been here for 40 years. I don't know why my voice got all old. I don't know why I was kind of funny. <laughs> I am not an impressionist. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I've been here for 40 years. <laughs> I love it. 40 years. And like, I've been by the pool, but the, the time hits 8 o'clock and everyone gets to the pool and there's no room for me. Excuse, excuse, excuse. 
God, I, I want this, I need this, but this isn't happening. And it feels like God is so quiet on the other side. But he's not quiet. But he responds to faith. He responds to vision. Hebrews tells us that we can't seek God without actually having faith. Because he actually wants to respond. He wants to reward us, but he can't reward lack of faith. And so what Nehemiah, oh, this is, this is so good because the, the man is just sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. And I just, just want to propose that he probably had a scarcity mindset. That this is just my life. And I'm just going to sit on my mat and I'm going to squeeze everything to what this. And if it doesn't fit in here, it's just not going to happen at all. And so excuses, excuses keep us in scarcity. That's the biggest thing. If we're really going to tackle our excuses, um, if we're really going to get out of our scarcity mindset, we have to get underneath and get into our excuses. What excuses are we making this morning that is keeping us in scarcity? You know, I was just thinking about um, our lives, and we've been married for um, seven years, and on 10, yeah. Wasn't expecting that, but amen. That was awesome. And so I remember before we came to Fountain, we were um, associate pastors at another church for almost seven years. And honestly, God had met us there. It was such a beautiful thing that God was doing. We were the first youth pastors, first college pastors. We moved into a more of an associate role there. And so it was beautiful. And um, God was just doing something inside of us the last two years before we were there. I couldn't explain. I couldn't put words to it. And long story short, that I felt like God was transitioning us. But here was the hard part. Nothing was wrong. My relationship with our pastors were incredible. Um, we had a great relationship with the families, the parents there. I mean, there was just so much good that was happening. If I were to be honest, too, we were comfortably there financially. We found a great place there. Um, we weren't sweating much, right? We were not rich by any means, but, man, we felt, we felt comfortable in a lot of ways. And so when God said, I, I, I'm starting to transition you, I was like, no. <laughs> No, like this is good. And honestly, at first I'm like, man, like the devil's a liar. This seems like, like I don't know. Like I just, ugh, I just can't. And and so we put off that conversation for like six months. We just didn't want to go there. It, it seemed scary. A part of us wanted to, but a part of us didn't. And so the more we prayed into it, we felt like the Lord was transitioning us. Um, to Pleasanton, to Fountain, to serve Pastors Matt and Jackie. And so, and we, we wanted to make sure that it wasn't just a good thing. We wanted to make sure it was a God thing. So that's why we were um, really praying. But there was a scarcity part of me. I was like, I don't know. Like, if we move to Tri-Valley, we got to pay the rent of the Tri-Valley. And we don't know. If we like, That's just real, you know. And so after six months of dialogue and praying, praying, we're like, gosh, we, we got to, we, we have to obey Jesus. And so we jumped off the cliff. We transitioned out of our church. And we had no idea um, what our employment was going to look like. We didn't know what it was going to look like um, money-wise. I mean, we just went. And I don't want to come off as a saint because there was like some times I was like, was this the right idea? <laughs> like, this is crazy. But God met us in incredible ways. And, and, and 
I, I bring that up to help you with provision. Because a lot of times we want God to show us the provision, then we'll step. And not only is that not true, but it's not biblical at all. You look at the story of Abraham. Abraham, go to the land I will show you. He's telling Moses, Moses, you walk that sea before it's uh, parted, then you'll see the promise. And you look at Joshua, before you can enter the promise, you literally have to step into the Jordan, then you'll see where I am taking you. It is all across scripture. Even look at the resurrection. There was three days in between. And so if we're going to see provision of our lives, we can't step until we see it, we just have to step into it. And then God will show us. And that's the biggest way how we're going to get out of our scarcity mindset is that we got to start seeing what God sees and then we step, not out of emotion, but out of faith in what God is doing. And so Nehemiah is in that place where God is opening up. He said yes to Jesus. He says yes to the king. Now the king is opening up. And a lot of times, God will give us what we need in that moment, but we still have to steward it the right way. And so how do we go from prayer to provision, okay? This is the part where I want us to land in, okay? And so finally, Nehemiah, he arrives in Jerusalem. Three days later, I dropped out during the night, and I had only taken a few people with me. I had not told anyone about the plans that God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. Continue. After dark, I went out through the valley gate into the jackal's well and over the dung gate, and I inspected the broken walls and burned places. Continue. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So though it was still dark, I went up the kindred valley instead, and I inspected the walls before I turned back, and I entered again at the valley gate. And so Nehemiah, he gets the provision. He has everything that he needs now. Three days later, he goes in, and it's dark time. He didn't want to make it public. He didn't want to make this known thing. And he tucked this dream inside of his heart where it was alive, but he didn't make it known. And I propose it's because he was counting the cost. That before I tell the dream, hey, guys, we're going to rebuild the wall. No, no, no. Before we build the wall, let's evaluate. Let's see why we got here. Let's look at the patterns. Let's inspect. Let's look. Let's see why we came where we are. And a lot of times, this is where, and this is where I want us to lean in right now. This is where, where we can pray. God can actually make a way for provision. But this is where most of us get stuck. That when God wants us to get underneath our scarcity mindset and why we can't move forward, are we willing to inspect the walls and why they were broken in the first place? Because God can pour, pour, pour his blessing, his favor, his purpose, but if the wall, if the, the cup that you have is broken, it's going to keep slipping through. So we got to inspect the walls. We got to evaluate. So if you're taking notes, that before we can build for the future, we must evaluate the present. I love what um, pastor and leadership expert John Maxwell says, is that experience doesn't help you. Evaluated experience helps you. Just because you're getting um, older doesn't mean you're getting wiser. It just means you're getting older. And we know that. 
Because we can do the same thing over and over again. And unless we evaluate it, why do I think that way? Do you ever think about what you're thinking about? Do you ever just like, man, like, why did I just do that? Just taking that moment, like, to, to see what only you can see and think about what only what you're thinking about. And, man, God can move so much in those areas. We got to, before we can build, we got to evaluate. Why do I keep thinking that if I go into a relationship, I'm going to get hurt? Why do I feel like that when I put myself out there to God, that God's going to abandon me? I'm just giving some examples right now. What the Lord is probably speaking to something to you right now. Lean into that. That is the Holy Spirit. Is that wherever you feel, oh, I'm not sure. God wants to, he wants you to inspect that, to see that, look at that. Pay attention. Pay attention to what you're paying attention to. Why is God bringing that up. I would propose that most of our pain from our past is coming from our present patterns. Okay, think about that. A lot of our past pain comes from our present patterns. And if we don't tackle our patterns, we're going to keep reading our past when God wants to give us a new present and a new future. And so if I were to give you an illustration right now, think about if I were to say, you know what, whatever this thing that you've been thinking about, praying about, that you want, that you desire, God has it right in front of you. And so but what I want you to do is I want you to catch it. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to throw you the thing that you want, right? But I want you to catch it with your hands closed. Right. We got a preacher right there. Let's go. And you're like, that's dumb. That's like, 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 open up your hands. But what's, what's so symbolic about that is that when we open up our hands, we're letting go of previous patterns and we're embracing God's new pathways. And, and I know it sounds so like too good to be true, but it's not. It's actually scriptural. Romans 12, 2 tells us that by the renewing of our mind, God will show us his best for our lives, his perfect, his acceptable, his amazing will for our lives. So in that transaction with Jesus, it's more than a transaction, it's more of an invitation that he invites us by his grace, that if you let go how you see, how you think, those patterns, that scarcity mindset, I will give you something so much better, so much more, but we got to open up our hands. Some of us in this room today, our pattern is just to hang on to our lives because we feel like if we trust God with that area, that if I let go, it's vulnerable, right? When we let go, like what, what, what is, what can life, like what's going to happen in this space? What is life going to do to me? But the only way for us to know if we can trust God is to trust God. I know it's not tweetable. I know it probably won't be on Instagram today. But the gospel, to, <laughs> the gospel doesn't need to be tweetable. It's transforming. So when you open up your hands, like, Lord, just take it. God will meet you in that moment. And so... I want to end, end on this note, okay, is a lot of times we can't open up our hands because we want God to 
We want God to change our past. And I would, and I would, gosh. I know a lot, I know a lot of us, we've experienced things that it's been painful that we would never wish upon anybody in this room. So I don't say this in an insensitive way at all. But God doesn't, to think that, to ask God to change your past, that's too small. God can do more than change your past. He can renew your past. He can restore your past. He can lift up your eyes in the present, and he can show you your future. And so if we're going to reverse the ruins in our lives, we got to ask him to reverse the right things. And so don't ask him to change an event. Ask him to change your heart. Because that's the promise in Ezekiel, that I will take a stone inside of you and your heart, and I will make it flesh again so you can see, you can feel, you can experience all that God has for you. So we're going to reverse the ruins in our lives. We got to let go of the scarcity mindset. We got to not settle for what's safe. And we got to open up our patterns to the Lord. Lord, take my patterns. And I would recommend, you know, one of our values at our church is that we dream big, but we start small. As in like, man, God, the, the Holy Spirit will inspire us. The Holy Spirit will bring conviction. But then tomorrow, just work on one thing. God has invested in you for eternity. So you don't have to work on every little small thing. What's the one pattern that God wants to break in this season? What's the one pattern that if you were to say, God, I'm going to loosen up my grip right now. What's the one thing if you were just to give to the Lord right now? God can renew. He can restore. So let's let go of our patterns so that God can give us a whole new pathway. Amen.